Welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today we're going to have a very interesting show. We have invited back a gentleman who has been with us several times, all the way from India to New York City, and now he's in New Mexico. So we are speaking from New York to Mexico, New Mexico, um, through Zoom, as you can see. And this time we're going to be speaking about Carl Kalman's latest book, which is Quantum Science of Psychedelics. I love the subtext. Uh, the Pineal Gland, Multidimensional Reality, and Mayan Cosmology. Now, Carl is a renowned Mayan uh, scholar. He's been around the world lecturing, giving workshops, teaching people about the nature of Mayan cosmology. And there are not that many people who really are so familiar as Carl is with this subject. And it's a wonderful story of his having been on vacation in uh, Mexico while having been a cancer researcher at the World Health Organization some decades at this point back and found himself utterly completely fascinated and taken by Mayan architecture and started to learn more and more about the society and culture itself. That led over the course of years since he has been a scientist of a much deeper and broader understanding of the nature of Mayan cosmology, the calendar, and he has written extensively on this subject. And it's on those subjects that we have had Carl speaking um, over the course of years. So it's really a great pleasure and honor to have Carl back with us today on A Better World to talk about this most recent work of his. So, Carl, good friend, good to see you, and welcome back to A Better World. Oh, thank you, Mitch. It's, very, it's great to see you. You know, I, we, we, we had a couple of interviews, but they haven't been with video, and I haven't really seen you for, I think it might be 10 years or something It like might that. be. Uh, you, yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've all grown a little older, Carl. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Yeah, you yeah. know, but in yeah. fact, since we're going back historically for a moment, uh, and we'll go further into Mayan history. Uh, we first met in 2004, Four. correct? Four, yeah. Yeah. And we had lunch together. We just crossed paths. We had lunch together at what is called Oneness University, where you were the advisor at large on Mayan calendar and cosmology, and I was there in my capacity like now to interview the uh, teacher of the place and many of his uh, associates and students. And then we did an interview then in a little Indian thatch-roofed hut. It's different now, I see. Uh, on the Venus Transit. That was our first video interview. And then when yeah. you came to New York, we did a workshop and we sat in my studio here at uh, Stuyvesant Town and did another one. And since it's been by radio, it's true enough. Yeah, yeah. Around the world together. Exactly. So <laughs> talking about around the world, we're going to go yeah. multidimensionally now around the world to exactly. taking a look at some of this awesome research you have done that informs this book, Quantum Science, and 
psychedelics. And so each of these two, of course, are uh, remarkable studies in themselves, and you're bringing them together under one, one umbrella, so to speak, makes it all the more compelling, which is why I wanted to have you on to share what you came to see about what they have as an interface and to take a look at what is the relevance of these discoveries you've made about the Mayan calendar, about Mayan cosmology, and the mind-expanding, mind-altering, modifying use of psychedelics together relevance to today and our lives in our rather tumulted world that's trying to find its own feet and identity again. <laughs> so why don't you start to walk us through what you feel is the relevance, first of all, of Mayan cosmology and then in the calendar and then into psychedelics. Oh, yes. Yes, thank you. Yeah, I mean, first of all, at some point I came to the insight that the Maya calendar system really is a, a system of time that describes quantum shift. And that's, uh, that's a big thing, really, because nobody has really talked about that uh, before. And it, it looks, you know, first people might think that's completely different, the Mayan calendar and quantum theory. What's the relationship there? Sure. Uh, but I would say that, yes, the, the ancient Maya did develop um, the embryo, at least, of a, a kind of macrocosmic quantum theory. And the, 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 the first inroad to grasping that, I think, is simply to look at their pyramids. And, you know, to, to, to the Maya, I think the, uh, the, their pyramids were like poor man's Bibles or something like that. It was something they, they could, you know, the, the very architecture of the pyramids had information that everybody in those days were probably aware of. So fundamentally, for instance, if you go to Chichen Itza or if you go to Palenque, to Tikal, or a couple of other major Mayan sites, you will find that in the center of these uh, sites, there is a pyramid built in nine stories. They're not smooth, the, the, the pyramids of the Maya. Like or, the Egyptians, for instance. Like the Egyptians, for instance, which are smooth. Mm -hmm. No, they are terrace forms. And that, that really is a strong indication to begin with that they looked upon the evolution of the universe as being quantized or quantum phenomena. Because one of the characteristics of quantum theory, and maybe the characteristics of quantum theory, is that uh, on the level of the microcosmos uh, and atomic structure and so forth, mm -hmm. um, the, the electrons can move uh, between quantum States. They do they do quantum leaps, but there's nothing in between. You can't stay in between. It's like taking a step in a staircase and trying to stop in the, between the staircase. You can't put down the feet there. You have it's to almost like space to space. Hard yeah. as that is to even conceive of, but 
Yeah. Yeah. And it's also, if I may, and please correct if that's not a right idea, of particle to energy, energy to particle, which is an ever-shifting quantum phenomenon. It is an ever-shifting quantum phenomenon. But what I'd rather emphasize is that a quantum state, according to the Schrodinger equation, is really a kind of a geometry that organizes energy. And so if you move up on the climb the different states in an atom, you're actually going through different quantum states, different geometries organizing mm -hmm. energy. So that's kind of the starting point. The pyramids are built like nine quantum states on top of each other. And then, of course, we transport it to another area of the universe. We're looking at the universe and the macrocosmos of the universe. It's a different area, but the same principles do apply. Yeah. That throughout the evolution of the universe, you go through a number of quantum leaps, and each leap is characterized by a certain geometry, and in this case, at the top level of the highest quantum state, it's about uh, uh, geometries that organize the, the human mind, that organizes the human perception huh. and human activity uh, and so forth. And so uh, from, from this perspective, we can understand the entire evolution of humanity, including its mental and uh, technological, economical, uh, etc., evolution, based on the idea that people in different time periods have been downloading a different geometry uh, of the mind. And, and that's really the inroad to understanding one of the first things in, in the book title, the multidimensional reality. So in this model of the universe that the Maya left behind, you have several different dimensions. In other words, every quantum state that you may download gives you a certain perception of reality. And if you shift between these, it will be like you're shifting between dimensions. And reality in this whole picture will be multidimensional. And so then there is a whole story of over time, these different quantum states have been activated at certain points in time, and we can track how this has been reflected in human history and so forth. Um, Is that so, when you take the, say, the nine waves described in the Mayan calendar, yes. and you, let's just say overlay that on human history, and you will see that there are these certain points of what Terence McKenna referred to as moments of novelty, where there was something occurring that is outside normal phenomena, and one that you would say, my God, that could be a war, that could be the Renaissance, that could be some kind of 
well, we might call it a quantum breakthrough in understanding. It could be Galileo. It could be a moment when the mind shifts. And according to what I'm understanding, uh, to some extent, I should say, is that it shifts the geometry of understanding. That part, I'm not so, I can say it, but I'm not so clear about how that happens. Yeah, yeah. Well, is that a, a fair representation well, of what you're it's saying? Def- it's definitely a, a fair recollection. Okay. Uh, 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 definitely exactly that. Okay. Uh, I, I just want to add, to begin with, that the, the evidence is sort of much stronger. I mean, all these mm-hmm. things you mentioned, yes, you, can, uh, you find them as being placed in certain moments of time and novelty uh, generating uh, moments in time. But it's also that you can sort of track patterns. It's not just sort of anything happening kind of. uh, It's like you can track, say, the mathematics, step, 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 step. And with with every, every peak in a wave, you will get a more advanced expression of the mathematics. And, and so, you know, you, you go from the very first use of numerals and, and multiplication tables 5,100 years ago, basically, when the sixth wave began. And then when you come to the last of these peaks, then you have the explosion of modern mathematics that took place in the early 17th century with Descartes, with the, uh, the logarithm, the, the uh, probability theory and stuff like that. You can oh. see that's what we call the, the, the scientific revolution in, 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 in Europe. And the mm-hmm. point I'm making is that here you have, you can track a particular phenomena and many, many other particular phenomena. But in this case, we're talking about mathematics. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, another very important thing is that the link between this with the geometry, the downloading of the geometry was really what, what gave rise to the first pyramids and, and cities and all that kind of the structured mind mm-hmm. came into existence. And, and when people download that, then their creativity is altered and, and it, 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 it becomes different. So and, I want to back up a little bit yeah. just so I understand, and I hope the audience yeah. does That's will benefit good. from this, But uh, because you put a lot of dense information on the table here, Carl, which I would expect yeah. from you and appreciate. <laughs> um, uh, and at the same yeah. time, I'm seeking to deconstruct it a little bit, right. not to knock down the pyramid, but just to understand some of its inner workings, which would be – so. You talk about downloading a geometry. So it, let's yeah. say at the beginning of either human history or Mayan yeah. culture, uh, there was a perspective that was engaged almost like a lens through which they saw reality. And there was a geometry to that out of Very which good. came their architecture, but also perhaps their culture itself, which would mean mathematics and science and art and music and crafts and, you know, the way they plant crops, for that matter. Everything yeah. referring back, it's sort of like their, 
their basic frame of reference, and you're postulating that actually all cultures have some parallel to this, that there's a, a geometrical formula or structure out of which we sort of live. So we're in the United States, you could say, or in Western Europe, it, we're a bit more angular. And there are other cultures that you could say, more indigenous cultures, which would tend to be more circular or spherical. Is this sort of the thread you are talking about? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's just totally in accordance with what I'm saying. Uh, Good. I finally uh, understand after all of these years. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, you know, if we... Uh, if a very significant beginning of a new wave was the so-called long count that started 3,115 BCE. Mm. And uh, 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 that's the 13 Bactuns of the Bactun is the name of a, of a Mayan time period yes. that came to an end in 2012 and that was what gave rise to all these kind of discussions that were at hand in those times. Yes. But, uh, so... Well, 2012 to, or 2011? It's really 2011. I was okay. adapting, <laughs> trying to... I remember, I remember. <laughs> it's, it's still, the, the real one is 2011. But what I, I want to yeah. let everybody maybe, know... Maybe we can let leave that behind. <laughs> All right, fine. I just want to let everyone know that we had a very interesting yeah. moment in 2011 where Carl, uh, distinct from contradistinct, from every other Mayanist out there and popular culture who always embraced 2012 as the year of the change in the Mayan calendar, Carl, and he has good reasoning behind this, stated it was 2011. So we had a fun little hoopla about that at the time. But, yes, yeah. we can leave that aside. But you deserve credit, if I may That's say, right. for That's having right. stood up to the entire world, Carl, who had yeah. any feeling for the subject and yeah. stood your ground. So, as yeah. we say in yeah. Chinese, mazel tov. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay. But anyway... That, that long count, it, it started then 3,115 BCE. And uh, I remember when I first made, came to Mexico into the pyramids in A little hiccup. Okay, fine. Okay. I'm reminded, Carl, of an interesting uh, perception psychology experiment based on what you're telling me, mm -hmm. where I think it was Jerome Bruno conducted a study, a test, where he had young little pussycats in a room just born. And all of the uh, all of the movement, the furniture, everything else that was there, was vertical, like almost stripes. Uh huh. Yeah. And another room 
where everything was horizontal. Yeah. <laughs> and after a period of time, he put the little pussycats into the other room. And they were knocking into everything. And they could not get themselves straight. Because, wow. so interesting, what yeah. was discovered in this study was that the eye brain was being imprinted by the environment to such an extent that it was only able to perceive what it had been presented with at this point from birth. And that kind of programming slash conditioning is so real. It's not a figment. It's not theoretical. It's actual. And this experiment helps to underscore what you're saying about the download of geometry, whether it's perpendicular or it's triangular or whether it's spherical, what have you. It's actually making a physiological change in our body and mind. Absolutely. Just wanted to offer that. Oh, it's a great parallel. And, I mean, we are really shaped by downloading these, from birth, you might say, uh, these geometries. Yes. That's my view. Exactly. That's right. So how then, I mean, you you laid a really wonderful foundation here. by the way, I, I have to say I'm also reminded of some of the work of uh, the wonderful cellular biologist Bruce Lipton, who is a, you know, a dear friend and will be on the show again relatively soon, who speaks about our cells being influenced by their environment and adapting from the environment. And the environment to a cell, let's say in the stomach or the liver or the lung or wherever, is being influenced by the mind and shaped by the mind, which is external in some way to that cell. So, therefore, the idea of our emotions, stress, and our belief systems are directly as in, as environment to the cellular world influencing the life of the cellular world. So, you could say that we are, in this case, by this example, the cell, and the geometry, which is exact, existing perhaps in the galactic center, you know, the center of the universe, say, is whatever reason, you know, downloadable and influencing us in ways that are invisible, that we don't see, but our culture manifests through our art, our architecture, and culture. Yeah, yeah. Um um, in, in, in my understanding, um, it, uh, you know, there are nine waves or, or nine levels, nine quantum states uh, in this macrocosmic quantum theory that ultimately is based on the Mayan pyramids and their embryo of a new science, you might say. In that, the, the, the lower waves are all about creating the uh, the biological organism in, in the physical sense of the word. Mm-hmm. And then when, with the fifth wave comes, to the, which started 100,000 years ago, then it's added upon that um, uh, the, the uh, 
symbolic representations that human beings started to make about 100,000 years ago. Mm. But a very floating symbolic thing, not the kind of sharp uh, uh, art that like the Egyptians would later do. And then on top of that comes a couple of other uh, um, waves that are creating our reality up until until our, our present time. But uh, to re- you know, come back to what you're bringing up here, the the, the cellular functions then and so forth. So, um, it, it, it is like these different nine waves. Uh, they they create an interference pattern, um, whether they are part of the creation of the of the biological being or the mental spiritual being. It, it, the the unification of of the, of the, uh, the spiritual and the biological comes because the, these different waves create an interference pattern, and that I would call also an evolving quantum field. Really, what that, what that is about, and so because they're all uh, everything then is connected through these nine different waves and the interference between them. Then we can find that, yes, there is a connection between uh, psychosomatic effects and all that kind of things, the effects yeah. of the environment on, on ourselves, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But, 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 so there is a certain independence of each level, so to speak. Mm-hmm. The cellular is certain independence from, for instance, the more mental levels that come up. But. They're also all connected. Interacted, right, and uh, interconnected, right. You know, I'd like to make a point first uh, that underlies everything you're saying in the book and here uh, before we launch more into, which I'd like to do, into the psychedelic aspect of this, which is there's this interesting idea that Evolution is sort of linear, and it goes in one direction. And one of the things that I help, I feel you have helped to unearth with your deep study of Mayan cosmology is that it doesn't really all go that way. If the Mayans had a quantum theory, for instance, and, and that for Western culture only started way after the Newtonian revolution, in fact, even the Einsteinian revolution, i.e. with Niels Bohr in the early part of the 20th century. But if we go back, let's see, 2,000 plus 3,000, you know, five to 6,000 years and see, oh my God, the Mayans had this. And we also know that native peoples of, Turtle Island of the United States of America, and elsewhere, Africa, South America, Siberia, also had their own form of science and physics and biology that in some ways are equal to and we could say surpass our current scientific understanding, it changes everything. It's like taking a deck of cards and throwing them up in the air and saying, <laughs> no, it ain't the way you think, Bob. You know, that, yeah. you know, Western civilization and sort of, you know, <laughs> European slash American uh, 
science and technology are growing toward a certain consummation and acme, wait a minute, we can go back to the Chinese and see that they had in developments, that uh, technological inv- developments with using water, creating things like electricity, same with the Egyptians that had their own water-based battery, things of this sort, and we have to stop and take a look and say, it is not linear at all. It's a series of, I don't even know quite how to put it, except for the, you know, the card <laughs> metaphor, you know. Um, it's way different than we conceive, and po- possibly part of that perpendicularity is that we conceive only of this one, you know, charted line, and it ain't necessarily so. It's actually not so at all, and your work has helped to really flesh that out. So I, I just wanted to make that point, and I'd love to hear your comments before we take a psychedelic uh, journey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree with you. But I, I would say, especially when it comes to the big picture of of the evolution of life, ancient peoples were much more, had a better picture, the overall picture uh-huh. better than it is today. But I the holistic that, picture, if you will. The systems the understanding. Yeah. Yes, the systems understanding, exactly. But we may be better at, you know, measuring the um, all, all kinds of technological uh, phenomena and, uh, and, and all the detailed knowledge and these uh, big data uh, science yeah. that is coming out of, of, of modern science all that kind of stuff, but it's almost now that they've, they've come to a point where they're just uh, generating enormous amounts of data, but nobody really thinks about it or, or gets anything, any coherent picture of, 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 of our reality. Yes. And, and there is also another dis, dis, distinction that, that I'd like to make, is that modern science really looks upon uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't describe life. It really doesn't see the universe as living. It looks upon it essentially as dead matter, yes. and only dead matter can you study with these kind of measurement techniques and so forth. And I think that's an, when, when, when I talk about the waves, that, that's really an interesting example of how in ancient times when people talked about these waves, they would talk about them as dragons, as plumed serpents, as the, the rainbow serpent or the great anaconda that gave, created the human beings in the Amazonas and so forth. They looked upon these waves are, are living waves in a way. So... And it, it, from that uh, connection, um, you, you create a holistic view of a living universe. And that's not what modern science does. Rather, it fragments reality and creates, often just tra- treats this as, as being dead, uh, dead phenomena. And you that's know, an important yeah. report. That's a really important, good point. Uh, The word analysis from the ancient Greek actually means to break down. So into 
find discrete yeah. parts. And you, as a biologist doing con- cancer research back when, you know, uh, also were studying dead matter. And yeah. if you think about it, you're just inspiring me to this thought, which is that most of our modern uh, medicine is predicated on the study of autopsies. Yeah, yeah. Dead people. Right? Yeah, <laughs> Dead you're people. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that should tell that us is, something. That, you're right. You're right. I haven't thought about that. It's an interesting thought. Very interesting. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, right? it is. So but it, it just underscores your point about studying yeah, dead does. phenomena. Right. Yeah. I just never thought of it that far through, you know? But yeah. yeah. You're adding something significant to it. And, and so then you can see then that there is a conflict uh, for has been for maybe 20 or 30 years between holistic alternative medicine, which really is about studying the living being. That's right. And saying that's that, right. Uh, the established allopathic medicine is based on study of, of death. That's right. That's right. That's a whole other subject matter with yeah. which I am extremely familiar as someone who has studied ancient medicine and yeah. energy medicine. But we'll yeah. we'll do that for another time. I would love okay. to hear about uh the interface, Carl, of uh, Mayan cosmology, quantum science, psychedelics, and the pineal gland in particular, which you could say is the internal conductor um, and metabolizer of a different kind of information, plant information, if you will, coming into the human system. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, but frame it in whatever way you want. That was just yeah, my okay, way. but we should go into the whole topic of psychedelics at this point. That's correct. Right. That's the idea. Right. Right, right. Okay. So, um the I think really that the the Mayan calendar system, the Mayan science as a background uh, which really accounts for a multi-dimensional reality, in, in, in a, not in a far-fetched way. It immediately does that because each of the different quantum states that we download accounts for a, a certain way of perceiving reality, and they are distinct depending on what quantum state you're developing resonance with. Mm-hmm. And so this is all consistent then with a... Um, idea that if you take a psychedelic, you will uh, go into another state. You will perceive reality differently. And, uh, and, how, and how could that be? Well, my overall explanation is that the in our normal default state of consciousness, uh, which really isn't normal, but you can talk about it as, as default. Maybe it's abnormal, but it's default. It's less normal uh, these days than ever. But. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's less normal these days <laughs> than ever. But anyway, that is very much, it's really very much ill-structured by that kind of perpendicular quantum state that we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. that, you know, people... Uh, 
5,000 years ago, people no longer were just sort of floating around and uh, sensing the plants and stuff like that. They, they got a download of a very rigorous, very uh, strict geometry of, of perpendicular orientation. And uh, that uh, downloading that uh, uh, geometry compartmentalized our brain. Uh, so, for instance, that's what gave rise to the, the separation in uh, uh, left and the right brain half, and, or if you will, the, the, the frontal and the parietal lobe. Mm -hmm. So there is a compartmentalization of the brain taking place as a result of people downloading this perpendicular quantum state. And uh, so then... You know, there's been for quite some time, there's been a sort of a more of a philosophical idea that uh, maybe uh, the, the, the brain or the mind is like a reducing valve, as they mm -hmm. said, that, that limits our perception to reality. And that is exactly what I believe, too. Except that, you know, throughout my books, there is a lot of evidence that this is actually the case. At the, that the mind that we downloaded at this point of time is the reducing valve. It is what that limits our perception of reality. Well, this, of course, as you and I both know, is uh, largely the premise of Aldous Huxley's The Door of Perception. Yeah. And it's also a kind of a, an, a fundamental understanding of people who are in the world of, say, transpersonal psychology understand yeah. exactly, as you're putting it, that there is the vast amount of information, if you will, um, or potential perceptions that can't possibly be cognized, metabolized, received and so the mechanism of the brain in conjunction with the mind begins to narrow it and so while ultimately what we see is just a thin representation of reality which we of course call reality yeah <laughs> right so our, our default state so to speak correct yeah so, but anyway, what I'm bringing to the party of this discussion, and I, I agree, there's been many that have been saying exactly what you've been saying, but is to understand exactly how the mind, a particular quantum state of the mind, uh, a particular geometry of the mind is what has uh, the, uh, um, created this uh, reducing value. Oh, yes. Oh, I see where you're going with this. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so what that means is that my explanation to how psychedelics work is that they disconnect this particular quantum uh, uh, state. They disengage really the whole mind from the brain. And then as that happens, we become receptive to all possible nine waves that has all oh. kinds of information and other perception and spirits and, and God knows what. And, you know, I should say, at least my experience with ayahuasca, coming to some kind of a floating state where everything floats around me, which is really what I think people 
based on looking at ancient uh, cave paintings and so forth, the horses they portrayed were upside down, and so they were, you know, the the ancients would talk about the 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 the, the life after this one as a floating on some rivers and that kind of a uh, thing. So uh, now, and and then I I discuss how exactly this this connection uh, could take place between mind and brain. Um, but coming back to pineal gland. But does this mean then, Carl, disengagement from that perpendicularity that was downloaded? So in a sense, it might become more circular or spherical, uh, a different geometry altogether. So there would be admission and recognition of these different forms that we otherwise would not be able to see? Right, right. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So, but anyway, what, what's the role of the pineal gland in this? Mm-hmm. Well, I, what I emphasize then is that the pineal gland is at the center of our brain. And uh, another thing that I'm, you know, talking about is that our connections to the center of the universe that uh, emit these waves that we download, so to speak, mm-hmm. it goes through. The, the 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 planets are Earth, and then the next step is the uh, heliosphere, the the solar system. Then it's the the galaxy, and then finally the whole uh, uh, universe. Universe. And now, still, that kind of stepwise connection will will require some kind of a, a, a central point, like the center of the universe, center of the galaxy, center of the sun center of the earth. And uh, that brings me to this other interesting connection, I think, uh, that if you look at the center of the earth, we now know that that's the big crystal. And uh, that much of those crystals are hexagonal. And an interesting aspect of the pineal gland is that it's one of the few organs of our body that has crystals. And those crystals are hexagonal. So I think there is something to qualifying the the pineal gland as an anchoring point for this mind that we download through this sequence through the earth and then ultimately to 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 ourselves. So that's what I look upon. It's the anchoring point of that structured geometric mind and what, what psychedelics do is that they interact not only with the pineal gland, but also with, with many other points in the, in the brain where this, <clears throat> this geometry is, is anchored, you might say, and then it disengages it. It's uh, through the interactions with the certain uh, receptors in the brain. Mm-hmm. It disengages, and that allows us for some time, as long as that disengagement is, is at hand, that allows us to be uh, receptive and see things totally different without that reducing value that the geometry of the sixth wave provides. That is beautiful. <laughs> as one who has also experienced ayahuasca uh, more than once, um, 
I can appreciate the point you're making of the expansiveness and going beyond. It has a transcendent quality of yeah. the three-dimensional reality with which we're all so familiar. I like to remind people, though, when you talk about a default state, uh, that we're actually shifting consciousness all the time but aren't really noticing it. And, in Good. fact, every day it's built in by nature and biology, one and the same, that we go to sleep. It is mm -hmm. part of our daily cycle. And when we go to sleep, we go from a beta state to an alpha state to a theta state to a delta state. And if we can remain conscious, going through those levels of slower brainwave activity, the mind becomes activated, interestingly, even by slowing through slowing down, to opening up to the kinds of realities that we could be experiencing through the plant medicine of ayahuasca, or for that matter, uh, mescaline or peyote. Each one has its own characteristics and type and personality, just like human beings do. And that's yep. a fun thought in itself, that plants have personalities and some are rich and some are poor and some are alive and some are a little quieter and sleepier as with animals and it's just all of a sudden as you're saying when you re remove yourself from the perpendicularity whether it's from the ingestion of an external substance or by by activating what neuroscientists uh, uh, Joe Dispenza talks about the inner pharmacy, um, you know, we start to have these larger, varied, extraordinary perceptions. So I just wanted to bring that idea yeah. that it's part of the human experience by definition that we have altered mental states and emotional states for that matter, i.e. all the time. Yeah, yeah, and it it also um, <clears throat> it also comes back to I mean the some of these levels these different brainwave levels correspond to meditative states and, and so forth. Of course. And it, <clears throat> what what I think I am concluding from my book is also then that it used to people used to think that oh psychedelics or drugs are, are something completely different from, from uh, say, uh, breathing techniques or oh. meditations or something like that. Yeah. But what I'm saying here is yeah. that it all comes into a deeper understanding if you understand that they're all uh, disengaging this structure of the mind. And allow, in that way, they allow us to have uh, more open experiences. And so I'm not saying that meditation and uh, psychedelics and breath work are identical, but I am saying that it's a variation of a theme. They're not completely different. It's yeah. just they, they bring you to somewhat different states and so forth. But the, the basic idea is that if you allow yourself to disengage this structure of structural geometry, you will be more open to 
cosmic influences that are unifying and changing your, your yourself in a, in a more positive sense, a more loving sense that that uh, mm. uh, rather than the sort of structuring linear, linear yeah. judgmental aspects of of, the, of of that particular quantum state. You know, that's so well put. And I'm just realizing that the place where um, the monad, the idea of a single god came from, is in Western culture. Yeah. And yeah. monotheism was not found in Asian cultures or African cultures or South American yeah. cultures. Yeah. It got exported, yes. But what you find there are polyth polytheism, theistic perspectives, multiple yeah. deities, a deity of the rock and of the trees and the bush and the flowers and the sky. Everything was living, like you were saying mm -hmm. before, uh, earlier, um, and that does not align with a perpendicularity or an angularity of consciousness. But mm -hmm. a structure does of bottom from top down, which we have in every single aspect of our lives, and yeah. uh, right? And so having a monotheistic idea of God, an absolutist idea, just very naturally, um, you could say, evolves from that headset. Whereas, you know, we were talking about the more circular or spher spherical, which is, by the way, is more equated with a feminine aspect, a yin aspect, you know, just look at a woman's body. And look at a man's body. I mean, it's, it's there biologically. And yeah. in those cultures, um, you know, there is a much larger systems thinking and embracing of all life and all life forms, not just what aligns with. And you could even say the, I, I don't know where to go with this just yet, but the ownership, the whole idea of ownership of land, and crops. Mm -hmm. Now, I exactly. haven't I haven't put that yep. together, but you see where yep. I'm going with this. Yeah. Could you comment uh, on that? I'd love to hear what you have to say. Well, you know, I wrote about that in an earlier book, The Global Mind of the Rights of Civilization. Yes. And, and the, the whole idea that if, when you get a, a compartmentalized mind, you download a compartmentalized mind, it means that you start to compartmentalize also the nature. Everything, and you say, right. Oh, okay, so this square here is my uh, property, and here I'm going to plant agriculture, you know, wheat and or whatever. Yeah. And then, uh, then you start to fence in the, uh, uh, your cows and stuff like that, which is another compartmentalization that you're projecting onto the world. So agriculture actually came out of this kind of projecting this, the, the geometry of the geometric structure that you had downloaded from the cosmos. That's where it started. And it seems, you know, since it comes from the cosmos, people must have thought, oh, good, God is behind us. Yeah, <laughs> or right. The gods. But yeah. it's really an evolving thing. And so... Maybe at one point that was a step that we, we, we were meant to take, but now maybe we, we're meant to reverse 
those steps, actually. You know, many years ago when I was a student in uh, traditional Chinese acupuncture school, many moons ago, <laughs> um, <laughs> we had to write a paper. And I had been particularly interested in the psychology of Carl Jung and the idea of of yin and yang, of course, and male and female, the masculine and the feminine, and the synergy between them, you know, and teleki from Aristotle, yeah. that idea. So uh, I was interested never in needles, but I was interested in the effect of Chinese, ancient Chinese, Taoist thinking on the Western mind, and mm -hmm. less interested but recognizing the value of the influence of the Western mind on the ancient Chinese mind, you mm -hmm. know, and that, you know, yeah. there's always going to be value in both, yeah. and, right, so I wrote a paper call called East Meets West, Who's Being Needled? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, the idea was that the more Chinese medicine was integrated into our Western medical systems, it was going to have a commensurate effect eventually on the mind of the practitioner because it required a Taoist headset, which is the opposite of the angular perpendicular headset. I didn't put it that way, but I did yeah. the left hemisphere on the right hemisphere. I use that metaphor, yeah. if you will. You know, but yeah. and it's true. So there will be a softening because you have to look at the client. You have to examine them. You have to look in their eyes. You have to look at their skin. You have to smell them. You have to take their pulse. You have to look at the tongue. You're personally engaged. And then when you go to treat, you know, you're looking at a whole system of meridians of energy lines, of life force. You're not just looking at the operation, for instance, of the kidney and something's broken with the kidney, like there's a valve in your car that has to be replaced. Now, that has its value. There's no question about it. But if you look at it systemically, you can have a lot more positive effect on the entire outcome of the car or of the human system. Anyway, yeah. I just wanted to offer those thoughts in light of yeah. what you're saying here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clearly, uh, yeah. Western medicine is what they call organotropic. In other words, if you have some kidney failure, you try to heal the kidney, and. Uh, which means, you know, it's a step in compartmentalization of the human body. Correct. Eastern uh, medicine is not compartmentalized in that sense, but systematic or system-based. And so if you have some problem with a kidney, you you poke the toe or yeah, the ear. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> You're touching a point along the meridian, which is the yeah. energy path of the organ, the organ being the larger manifestation of the idea behind the function of the system. Yeah, 
if you want to think about it that way. And every single organ has a yin and yang component. So if you're working on the kidney, just to continue the metaphor, you might have to work on the urinary bladder. Or there are any number of different ways of analyzing it. We're not going to go into that now. But you're always dealing with a system and then mm -hmm. the larger contracted manifestation, which is what we in the West, of course, would call an organ. And so would they. But it's led up to through an entire intelligence that is guided by spirits, which you could call as just another form of subtleized intelligence leading up to the concrete form of the energy field, which is the organ. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, just to create mm -hmm. a whole picture. Yeah, yeah. You know, Good. we're beginning to run out of linear time. Linear <laughs> so, time. But Forget about linear time. <laughs> forget it. <laughs> Toss it out. But I would love to hear what more of what you have to say about, I mean, I appreciate very much that the understanding that the Mayans had of the structures of mind that got created in different, let's say, geographical areas of the world um, and how we've been reckoning with that. The You know, there's an expansiveness to it and there's a limitation to it, which you've been and I've been fairly clear about here today. But I'd love to know more about what the Mayan understanding may have been and the Mayan use of psychedelics for their own further oh. understanding. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess what, what we do know, since we're talking here about the ancient Maya, there is the living Maya, of course, but yes. I'm, my studies have been in the ancient Maya because they had a much more elaborate uh, time science, you might say, than yeah. as hand today. Nice but we, what we do know is that from this region of, of Central America, there are these hundreds or thousands of different mushroom men that have been dug up from different sites. So and it's, usually it's a, it's a mushroom coming out of the, uh, of the of a man or, or, or something like that. And uh, <clears throat> What we also might say is that several of their uh, um, the imagery on the on their uh, reliefs on their uh, on their lentils and so forth look kind of uh, bizarre in the psychedelic sense of it. You see kind of monsters. You see baby jaguars. Mm -hmm. You see all, all kinds of strange things that that do indicate that uh, they, they, they may be the product of, of some kind of psychedelic uh, visions. Um, and it, 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 you know, I, I recently saw a guy uh, actually on Facebook who, who sort of questioned the traditional understanding of how the, the uh, Mayan kings in ancient times would enter their the, the trance. And he he would point out that uh, you know maybe they actually some of these pictures actually depict the psychedelic substances uh, and so forth. But uh, one thing that I think should connect things a little bit here is the fact that 
portrayals that they used to make, they would typically have serpents. And serpents would, they would come out an ancestor through the head of the serpent. And then that ancestor would be talking to uh, uh, some Mayan king or queen or something like that and giving information as to what they would do. And then if we connect that to uh, not only the, the, the waves that I've been talking he about here, uh -huh. but also the, the, <clears throat> the fact that the most common experience that people have who are using ayahuasca are serpents. Uh, then, then we are uh, bringing, you know, together a, a a a mixture of phenomena that could indicate that, um, yeah, they 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 also the kings when they were given their prophetic uh, understanding of the future and so forth mm -hmm. that they could have been influenced by by uh, psychedelic substances. But we know for a fact that there's a tremendous amount of mushroom men uh, among the artifacts from this area. So there's no reason to doubt that that's what they were using. Is there any uh, textual reference in the Mayan um, journals and logs that have been extant? Uh, I, I haven't. I have not heard of that. It's a good question. Uh, maybe I should start studying it. Yeah. And uh, we, we may not know exactly how they would call they probably wouldn't talk about psychedelics they they uh, what would they call this kind of experience certainly they have all these spirits and all these all what we today call altered states of consciousness but uh, i've i've never read that they described in text any any of these kind of uses it could be i don't know but you are making the supposition, based on your deep knowledge of Mayan cosmology, that it makes organic sense for them to have been utilizing uh, various plant medicines as part of their cultural activity and heritage. Yeah, I would say so. And, uh, of course, that's true for many indigenous peoples in the Americas. By all means. Whether you're, whether you're in the southwest or if you're in the Amazonas or... It would be or, surprising from that point of view uh, that they would not have. They exactly. would have been the exception in that case, which yeah. there's no yeah. reason to think that whatsoever. Not right. to mention, I mean, their creativity and their insight into time, as you called it so interestingly, time science, and the mm -hmm. many calendars they had, most people, of course, think it's only one, but you've taught me yeah. that there are many, agricultural, right. ceremonial, etc., yeah. that uh, they were indeed using plant medicines. The only thing that doesn't add up in that regard to me based on my lack of knowledge, and maybe you could say a word about this, is what we understand to have been human sacrifice that was taking place there. And one of the experiences that we Westerners have, and you alluded to, uh, when we use plant medicine, is the moving away of the perpendicularity and the access to the prefrontal cortex and the heart as a brain, if you will, and 
the compassion and love that is inside the opening mm-hmm. up of these energy centers, which makes us more human, if you will, and yeah. therefore really more evolved. So in light of all of that, the idea of human sacrifice, which I know we're looking at through our own cultural lens, uh, but on the terms of even the Maya themselves, do you have any anything to share with us about what that might have meant for them? Um, well, uh, what we what we do know is a little bit of of uh, the the Aztec view because Spanish chronicles uh, actually directly told uh, what what the Aztec looked upon them, yeah. and the the Aztecs uh, were sacrificing people on a very large scale, as far as we understand. And it's no secret because you actually have it in the ancient Aztec codices before the the Europeans came. And they seem to have done it in order to uh, simply to appease the gods. And uh, uh, I I think that's probably what the Maya did as well. Um, So there is evidence of... of, uh, human sacrifices also from the Maya. Uh, I tend to think that it's become uh, exaggerated, though. You know, a lot of people, that's what they think is all... Mayan culture was all about human sacrifices, so to speak. And uh, it doesn't seem like it, it, it took that enormous scale that it actually did take among the Aztecs. So they they. they fought wars between these different cities in order to capture a bunch of uh, uh, prisoners that they could sacrifice. And we know that. And, uh, and But at the same time, you know, the, the, the Vikings had human sacrifice. You can read about in the Bible the human sacrifices. And uh, uh, at one point in time, I think a lot of different... Uh, cultures uh, practiced it. And uh, I, I would also say here that the, this, this sixth-wave uh, uh, quantum state that was activated uh, 5,000 years ago, it, it created a duality of the human mind. And that duality, I think, really also gave rise to a tremendous amount of brutality, cruelty, and so forth that we you know, that until the mid-1700s, nobody protested against slavery, really, in the world. Only at that quantum shift, I would say, mm-hmm. did people start to perceive reality differently and started to think, hey, we cannot treat human beings like this. But if the, So before that point in time, people were tremendously cruel. I mean, torture was sort of... It was normal. It wasn't thought about as, as wrong or, or, or anything like, like that. And I think we, we should have that background. Uh, human sacrifice, uh, yes, I, I think they did. And, uh, but I don't think they did on an enormous scale. And the Maya is everybody else. I, I don't have any view of them as being angels. Um, I, I think they were very much shaped by that kind of duality of the mind, of 
you know, the, the rulers and the ruled uh, and that, that everyone else were in, in those states. And so that's the reason they didn't uh, 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 escape being, uh, exercising uh, their own forms of cruelty and, uh, uh, and so forth. So I have no idea, you know, I, I don't have the view that they were angels or models for us for, for mm-hmm. our time. But, but I, I, I just want to highlight that it doesn't change the fact that they, they developed a kind of a, a quantum time science that is very valuable. Oh, God, yeah. So you could say, let's look at any particular culture and glean from it their greatest contribution to the yeah. larger planetary cycle, you know. Yeah. Um, And in terms of this whole subject of sacrifice, Carl, I mean, I don't think we have to look very far. We can look at today's society and see human sacrifice. And it comes perhaps a little more subtler, a little subtler, I mean, you know, but it's there. If you think about different uh, medicines, drugs that are developed, and human beings are essentially the guinea pigs. And that's yeah. happening today regarding this whole issue with COVID. They have yeah. said, they have asked for, uh, government has asked for people who are willing to experiment with drugs that have never been used before on yeah. animals, on, on mice. They don't know what effect these are going to have, but they're right. supposing. But even short of that, just the use of, of dyes and genetically modified foods, organisms, and glyphosate, and you name it, is in our food supply, in our air, in our water. We're being sacrificed for the god of money all the time, you know. So let's not kid ourselves, you know. The 21st century is not so, you know, advanced. Right, right, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, just to contextualize the conversation. I, I agree. You know. Good point. Yeah. 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 But um, just, you know, we do have a few more minutes. I just want to take a few more. And uh, I'd just like to go back to something you said about the hexagonal uh, crystalline shape of the uh, pineal gland, the contents of the pineal gland, mm-hmm. um, and of the uh, – what was the other – Item. The, 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 the center of the earth, the inner Oh, the, the inner I'm sorry, core, this crystalline core. It has so, a crystal structure. Yes, so it's not molten lava, but it's a no. crystal. And exactly. so do you think that there is therefore a this interesting resonance then mm-hmm. between these two um, yeah. that help to... I mean, I want to say that, you know, the body is basically electrical, and um, that's an interesting phenomenon in light of all of this. It Mm -hmm. operates according to a frequency, or many, actually. You know, so there is a harmonic resonance, if you will, between the crystalline structure uh, inside the depth of the earth and ourselves. Yeah, right. So I believe that. I'd love for you to expand on that, and also I want to add one other thing. Are you aware of that same structure in any kind of galactic uh, place as well? So we have sort of a a heaven, earth, and man in the middle. Yeah. Yes. So 
Yes, I think, and I spend a lot of time in my books to describe that, that there is a resonance between the two hemispheres of the brain and the eastern and western hemispheres of our planet. Mm-hmm. So, so the, the, the western hemisphere is in a special resonance with the left brain half. The eastern hemisphere is in a special resonance with the right brain half. And there is a line then that, uh, and, and it actually exists in the inner core of the earth. There is a line essentially going through Berlin, Rome, down to Cape Town that separates the two hemispheres of, of our planet. Oh, interesting. And so there is solid uh, basis for that. And uh, uh, there are very interesting consequences of that for this coronavirus, I can tell you, but it's there. Now, then you're asking a very good question. Is there a correspondence to uh, uh, the, the galactic uh, structure? And I would say yes. Um, I, I don't want to detail it, but uh, it looks like there is a kind of resonance uh, between this, uh, the, the, the plane that separates the two hemispheres on our brains or on our, or the planet, and the the plane, the equatorial plane of the galaxy, mm-hmm. uh, and it's kind of a, a, a vague uh, reference, uh, and I won't go that technical here, but I want to add one thing more, which is interesting. That you know, the whole idea that I'm presenting is that the center of the universe emits these quantum states, spread them all over, and we, uh, we may create resonance with them. We download them. And there is a people in, in uh, uh, Colombia, the Desana people, that were studied in the 60s by a, an uh, uh, anthropologist by the name of Gerardo Dolmatov. And uh, uh, he found that these people and this is before, you know, there was a tourist industry of ayahuasca in Peru. Yeah. This is the way they had yeah. it originally, so to speak. Yeah. And they said that, you know, they, that the way they described their different states of, of uh, influence under the ayahuasca is that they first they go to the Milky Way, to the, uh, our galaxy, and then they even go beyond the the the, the, uh, uh, the the galaxy to something they call the cosmic womb, and uh, I believe that what they call the cosmic womb is what the Maya talked about as the place Central. of creation, uh, uh, some place there that emanates these uh, uh, waves across the universe to create its uh, evolution. So interesting. So we all have a resonance with it. And if you uh, abide by the idea of fractal reality, then whatever is out there is also in here. And, you know, it's the old idea of the doctrine of signatures, this idea that, uh, you know, we are everything. We are truly a microcosm of the universe. And if that's the case, even though the Maya might be referring to something way out beyond the Milky Way, 
there is some replication of it right here in this bizarre human body, if you will, yeah. human <laughs> being. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's interesting. I know what you mean. Yeah. So last question, uh, that is, could you talk about this incredibly interesting subject we've been embarking on here and you have dedicated your life to? What would you say are the ramifications and the implications and the relevance, direct relevance? You just made reference just to the line, uh, vertical line about, you know, Berlin and Cape Town to the coronavirus. What other direct relevance would you say the study of Mayan culture, cosmology has, and psychedelics for that matter, and the, uh, you know, the uh, titillating of the video, of the video gland to our daily life here on planet Earth at this time? Yeah, at this time, you know, it, it really, I would say it pre- provides the best uh, explanation there is in terms of how the universe evolves and how we as part of uh, uh, this whole uh, universe evolve as well. And uh, uh, so uh, what relevance it has, I mean, certainly it it provides a a framework for understanding a tremendous amount of phenomena and we haven't had time here to go into those in detail and so forth. But one of the things that it does explain is, is how the psychedelics work and how you can connect the various, the chemical level, the pharmacological level, the, the cerebral level, and connect that with the cosmic level. So it changes the whole medical concept of, of the effects of, of psychedelics and why mm-hmm. there's so much research that is now coming out to say that it, it is healing. Um, now, that's one thing. And, and uh, there's so many things that I, I believe this, this is a coherent theory that, that um, it's the best to understand how the universe evolves through quantum leaps. Uh, as part of that, you know, when it comes to becoming a little bit more practical, I'd like to advertise that event that uh, I, I will, will be having on 6th of June uh, together with Patricia Albert. And uh, we're, we're teaming up uh, for this particular event, and uh, uh, it, it's called uh, Accessing the Night Wave uh, uh, as, uh, through shared unity. That's w- what we talk about. That, that's the overall uh, uh, title of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I just talked here essentially about the sixth wave and the brutality and all that kind of thing that came out of that particular wave. Mm-hmm. Now, it seems if you follow these, these different quantum states that the purpose of humankind is actually to go up to the ninth level. And that's a level that doesn't have geometry, it doesn't have duality, it's sort of the possibility of a reunification. And what our, our particular event will be is to try to demonstrate practical tools or give people uh, for this free event uh, practical tools in order to take the quantum step up to that ninth level. 
And that's a fundamental change in how we look upon our spiritual or religious uh, path. It's no longer about uh, doing, it's no longer about the individual path. It's about going from meanness to weeness. Yeah. So uh, it, 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 as, as all these quantum states, and this one was activated only in 2011, and it's only beginning to become uh, more uh, um, accessible to, to people. Uh, but all of them are, are quantum states, meaning that you don't get there just by doing more of the same. You don't just do more of your individual path of, of uh, yoga or, or anything else that might have been beneficial to you. But the point here is that the highest state is about going up to uh, weenness. You know, the, the kingdom of heaven is not inside you. It's, it's between us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, nice. And, uh, and, and that's what we will give uh, um, tastes of practical uh, exercises, you might say, or, or experiences for people to encourage them to take that last quantum step. And since that's the highest level of the, of the pyramid, I, I at least conclude that that's where we want, we, we need to go. And if we access a quantum state that doesn't have duality, that doesn't have that kind of uh, uh, um, reducing valve geometry mm-hmm. that sets us off. If we do that, it means we no longer will, will uh, seek to dominate nature or dominate other people. It, it, it's inherent an, an existential equality be, between people in having access that state of consciousness. And so that, what, what I'm pointing to here is that this is, a, is, a, is here the theory that I've been talking about with you and you've been talking about with me, it's actually what to do and how to do it. And that, that's part of what I think is why it's important, except for all the interesting theoretical discussions that you and I could spend weeks and months (laughs) engaging in. Really true. Well, that's great, Carl. We will put up the information for people to access that uh, free event coming up on the very soon. We're being beckoned to conclude. I want to just thank you so much for your lifetime of work and dedication to the subject of mind cosmology and bringing it step-by-step into the world for us all to digest and reflect on and benefit from. And it's a pleasure to see you again and uh, have you back on A Better World, and we will do so again. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks for your uh, great contribution to our discussion here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. That's that fun. was so, so rich. This is Mitchell J. Raven for A Better World. Thank you so much for joining us, and I look forward to seeing you all next week. Remember to contact me at mjr at abetterworld.net. Share your thoughts, your comments, feelings about the shows. 
I look forward to seeing you all next week. Okay. One second. Okay, you did.